Welcome to the RCAF USA Roundup. I'm Shad Sullivan. And I'm Jaden Moreland, and we're here to talk all things cattle, sheep, and American exceptionalism. We stand for liberty and freedom. And we are having real and honest conversations about issues that affect your family, your ranch, your community, and most of all, your legacy. So let's jump right in. This episode is sponsored by Tri-State Livestock News. Founded in 1963, Tri-State is a leading publication within the livestock industry and is the commercial cattlemen's and horse industry publication. All aspects of agriculture are covered in the Tri-State. Information on grains, forages, sheep, hogs, dairy cattle, new and used farm and ranch equipment, and upcoming ag-related events are all part of the comprehensive daily online and weekly printed coverage. Visit TSLN.com or pick up a copy today. Thank you, Tri-State Livestock News, for your sponsorship of the 2023 RCAP USA Convention. We know the current state of our country and our cattle and sheep industries can be overwhelming, stressful, and depressing, but you do not have to go through it alone. No Rancher Left Behind meets every Wednesday on Zoom and gives similarly situated farmers and ranchers the space to talk with one another and support one another. For resources and for more information, visit NoRancherLeftBehind.com. Welcome back to the RCAP USA Roundup. It has been a while and it's so good to be back. You may have heard in our intro, I have a new co-host. He has been a guest on our show before. He's a board director at RCAP USA, property rights chairman at RCAP USA. He's a freedom and liberty loving American cattle rancher and he's my dear friend, Chad Sullivan. So I don't know about you, but I am so excited to see what he's going to bring to the show and I can't wait to share this first episode with you. So let's get to it. Global elites are trying to monetize the air we breathe and control our food production? Are we kidding? We wish we were. But plans for natural asset companies are in motion, potentially leading to the largest property rights violation in American history. So we sat down with property rights expert Margaret Byfield and Utah State Treasurer Marlo Oaks to find out what you need to know and what we need to do to stop natural asset companies right here on this episode of the RCAP USA Roundup. Today we have two very special liberty-loving guests with us. Margaret Byfield, a private property rights expert, and Utah State Treasurer Marlo Oaks. Um, so thank you all for joining us today. Why don't we start with just a quick introduction from each of you. Um, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourselves and where you're from, what you do. Margaret, how about we start with you? Sure. Thank you. And, and it's nice to be back with RCAF on their podcast. So thank you for having us. So a lot of a lot of you probably know I do come from an agriculture background. Um, I was raised on a ranch in central Nevada, which uh, our family filed the case Cage versus United States. So that should trigger a lot of really good memories for, for many in your audience that we're a property rights organization. We've been, we were founded in 1992 and we continue to work on these national issues that are chipping away at our property rights. Very nice. What about you, Treasurer Oaks? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I've been in the treasurer's office for about two and a half years and uh, spent most of my career in investment management and investment banking. So really the uh, economic um, system and the treasurer's office is really kind of at the crossroads of politics and our economic system. And so um, I've, uh, as one of only two tr state treasurers in the country with institutional investment management experience, uh, I've been speaking about economic freedom issues. And certainly what we're talking about today is is one such issue. So it's it's an honor to be here. 
So, Margaret, you are the executive director of the American Stewards of Liberty. Kind of tell us about what that is and what exactly it is y'all do. Well, we work with a lot of landowners. We work with a lot of local governments. Um, it really, the our our push is to work to protect our property rights because that is critical to our in, to our individual liberties. Um, it, there's the very practical side, which is we need to be able to grow our food and protect our homes and raise our families in a safe way uh, and, and produce goods that will contribute to the local, local economy, therefore the national economy. But along with that, I think the piece that Americans have forgotten and we really haven't taught our gen this current generation is that the ownership of property is what allows us to protect our liberties, our individual liberties. You know, a lot of people will say, no, it's the second amendment. It's, um, it's our freedom of speech. It's, you know, the other rights that are enumerated in our bill of rights that uh, allow us to have freedom in this nation. And what I normally will tell people, and what are those rights? Those are all property rights. And so, what we do is really protect that very basic right that protects all other rights. And so a lot of what we fight against is we fight against the environmental push to take more of our lands and our property rights out of the hands of the American people, putting them into governments and NGOs and just in, in a consolidated form and taking that away from, from Americans. That's really the core of what we do. And that's, that really triggers our involvement in issues. Our membership is largely agriculture because uh, they are the landowners in America for the most part. And um, so we do work on a lot of the agriculture issues in tandem. Very nice. And we love working with y'all. So Treasurer Oaks, could you give us a little bit of an overview of like what exactly the state treasurer's office does. I don't know if a lot of people are familiar exactly with what that entails. Um, and then obviously, I guess we'll get into how you got pulled into this property rights issue after a while, but just give us a kind of overview of your position. Sure, yeah, and every state treasurer is a little bit different in every state, of course, but um, in the state of Utah, I uh, have a, a key role in overseeing investments um, so I sit on the uh, board of the retirement system in Utah. Um, I also oversee our um, trust lands investment portfolio. Uh, and I, we have about $36 billion of investment dollars directly in the treasurer's office itself. Um, I also get involved in financial literacy and financial education um, with our K-12 uh, curriculum and and um, and then we also hold a, a women's conference every year um, uh, related to financial literacy issues, investment issues, things of that nature. Um, and then uh, just you know sit on about twenty boards. Um, so uh, get in, pulled in a lot of different directions um, when it comes to you know kind of assets of the state and. Uh, of course, if the state needs to borrow money, it comes through the treasurer's office. So our uh, credit rating, I view as a key asset uh, that the treasurer oversees. Um, so a lot of it, you know, it's it's all pretty much financial related, but it's it's not a, an accounting position as much as it is an investment management and, and, and an investment banking uh, role within the state. Very cool. That's interesting. And I'm very thankful you took the time to sit down with us today. Um, we're honored that you were able to take time out of all that, those meetings and all sorts of stuff, it sounds like. So I guess let's kind of dive into why we asked you both here today. 
Um, the New York Stock Exchange has requested to have the Security and Exchange Commission create a new rule and accounting practice to let sustainable practices be traded publicly and allow the creation of natural asset companies or NACs as we might refer to them. Um, I saw on the American Stewards of Liberties website that y'all described this as pretty much monetizing the air we breathe. Um, and so there's a lot of concern of this issue, obviously, and what it means in terms of liberty and freedom and what this creates. So if you could kind of expand on this and tell us what all this means exactly, um, to our listeners that are just learning about it, it's kind of confusing. So um, I guess as we go forward, just either one of you jump in and answer these questions as you see fit, but kind of just explain to us this issue we're covering today. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, jump in first and then let Margaret clean, clean up my mess. Um, so the uh, New York <laughs> Stock Exchange had to get a rule from the Securities and Exchange Commission to allow them to list a company whose purpose isn't backed by economic activity. So our, our accounting standards are based on economic activity, um, generally accepted accounting principles, our GAAP uh, standards. Um, and, and they're very objective uh, and, and easy to, to measure that economic activity. What happens when you start listing companies whose activities are not based on economic uh, processes, uh, when they're based on natural processes, and I, I think of it as Mother Nature, essentially financializing what Mother Nature does. So this requires a different set of accounting standards, and, and there's a mismatch there because we're taking something that is fundamentally non-economic, so think of it as photosynthesis. What is the value of photosynthesis creating oxygen from carbon dioxide? Um, how do you apply a value to that? Of course, it's it's very valuable. It's required and necessary that all, all of us have clean air to breathe, but it's never been financialized or, or, or quantified or monetized in any way. And you can think of that as a positive externality. It's something all of us benefit from, um, and but nobody pays for it. This attempt uh, um, by the New York Stock Exchange is really to create an entirely new area in the financial markets to generate uh, profit or generate um, a, a new kind of asset class that will attract uh, billions, possibly trillions of dollars, and essentially uh, pass costs on to end consumers to pay for climate change, biodiversity erosion, that's that's what's motivating this change. And essentially what it does is takes the money that is raised in a natural asset company and seeks for resources, natural resources around the country uh, and, and tries to lock up those resources so they are not accessed for economic activity. It is exactly the opposite of what most companies do, which is to create economic activity. This in, is tries to prevent economic activity and measure Mother Nature and protect Mother Nature at the cost of human impact. Okay, that was that was pretty good. That was excellent. I really love hearing the treasurer explain this, especially from that financial perspective. Um, and and let me just say to your audience, because you guys haven't had the pleasure probably to meet him like we have, but. When we get into these issues, we're always looking for a, a leader who will really understand the issue and dive into them. And when we first started visiting with the treasurer, I think we re, re ruined his next weekend, of course. But 
Um, but you know, what I so appreciated is how deeply he has, he has worked to really understand this, not just the financial side, which obviously comes easy to him, but what's happening on the ground, how this is really being, you know, what's all the setup to make this happen. And that's really, I think the piece of this that I think I can add to so your leaders kind of get the full picture or your, your viewers get the full picture, which is your audience is very familiar with 30 by 30. You were the first agriculture, major agriculture organization that came out and opposed it, and which I'm still thankful for. Um, and so you know that since the Biden administration began, they've been working to permanently protect as many resources, land, water, everything that they can. Uh, they've been doing it directly by creating more national monuments through the BLM conservation rule, you know, where they're trying to prioritize conservation over the multiple uses. Uh, they've been doing it on private property through conservation easements and the conservation programs, just just sending out money hand over fist to get landowners to sign up for these conservation programs and put a federal nexus on their property. So all these things have been going on. And what the NAC does is it, it creates a financial vehicle for now the federal government and the land trusts, the, the nonprofits, the ENGOs to enroll the ecological performance rights, which is basically the term that capsulizes these new assets that they're trying to create um, to put on the balance sheet. It, it, um, it puts that in a, an investment vehicle for now, the same entities that have been fueling the agenda to permanently protect our land, we will be able to profit from that. So if you really want to break it down, what's happening is the 30 by 30 is basically the mechanism to clear title, to get the small landowner off the land. And the NAC is coming in and it's the way for the wealthy elite, Southern wealth funds from China, Russia, our adversaries will be able to invest in them and therefore be able to control these lands uh, in a way that is very frightening. And one of the reasons we say control is because one of the things this SEC rule does is it, it says that it gives management authority over all these assets to the natural asset company. Mm. So now you have to, to ask the question, you know, what is this going to look like? We know through exhibit three of the, the proposed rule, they, they come out and say that, that as some of the things that can be enrolled in this, they actually say are national parks. So if our national parks are enrolled in the NAC and the Chinese so sovereign wealth fund invests and controls the majority share of that NAC, who do you think is managing our national parks? You know, this is where when you really break it down, what this all leads to, it's pretty frightening what they're trying to do. And it, in a lot of ways, it's the end game. I know a lot of you probably knew my dad, Wayne Hage, and, you know, he said uh, from... Years and years ago, he said, the environmental movement is not about whether we're going to use our resources. It's yeah. always been about who is going to use the resources. And that's what this next move is really putting into play. Wow. So, you know, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, when I started seeing uh, things like uh, sustainability, it became a popular word. And, and I knew that was a little bit <clears throat> iffy because uh, uh, they were creating uh, uh, 
mechanisms like the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Soy. And I recognized early that it was a, a liberty limiter, right? And that in the end, I felt like uh, they were going to create this crisis, which we call climate change, to grab control of all land. And then to make the people feel better, they had to create a, a, a solution. And so they called it sustainability. Um, I've been preaching for a long time that sustainability is nothing more than consumption and production control. It's flat out communism. So with that being said, uh, I, I assume that this comes from a global hierarchy, just like sustainability does. Maybe the global cabal uh, using the United Nations to implement these programs down to our level. How does, number one, it's a two-part question I have. Is it legal in the United States under American law, number one? And number two, is it constitutional? That's the two questions I have right off the bat. Well, I would say, you know, to begin with, if we if we take, there's a couple of different elements. And I, let's start with just breaking down enrolling our federal lands or the the ecosystem systems, the natural processes, those rights to those rights into these NACs. Then you know, how, first off, the SEC, which is the one that's approving this rule, does not have the authority to uh, any authority over our federal lands. So they, they simply are regulating the New York Stock Exchange. But by this rule, they are conveying the, that ability to these private country, companies. So that's very concerning. So they don't have authority over these federal lands. So that's been one of our questions is what agreements have taken place uh, with the federal land agencies to make this come about? Are there any or is it just being done? The second part um, of the management authority is that uh, these um, the Congress has delegated the management authority of these lands to the federal land management agencies, not to the SEC. So again, uh, we think they're way out of bounds by approving this rule transferring that authority. Uh, on its surface, no, it's not constitutional. And that's why they're trying to do it through administrative rule. So um, there are a lot of really concerning pieces to it. But if you look at uh, the BLM conservation rule, what that's going to do, that, that's a little bit different. Like with the national parks, those can be enrolled directly or the, the ecological rights enrolled directly into the NAP. And with the BLM conservation rule, if that is allowed, if they succeed in creating that, they will be creating conservation leases. So now it's whoever acquires that conservation lease on the federal lands, they can enroll that into a NAC. So it's, there's a couple of different ways that they get around it. But the other piece of this that I think is, is very concerning, it's illegal to do it, but I don't think it's right. And that is how conservation easements will be treated. So conservation easement is uh, a separate right. Once you sign a conservation easement, you have sold that development right with the conservation purpose to a land trust or the government. And that is a right that they now own separate and can invest in a NAC if they would like to. And so the concern is those conservation easements on private land then can be enrolled with or without the landowner's permission. So let's and, stop right there, because I, I want to touch on that, Margaret. Uh, obviously, in, in my area of Southeast Colorado, the, the conservation easement deal blew way up 15, 20 years ago. And there are many, many hundreds of thousands of acres under conservation easements right now. 
with still the original landowner. Now, I don't blame those people for doing what they did. Uh, everybody had trouble or, or one had a different reason for getting into a conservation easement. Thankfully, my family or my dad had the wherewithal to not to kind of see into the future and, and understand what those were. So we don't participate. But let's just take, say, my neighbor, Joe. Uh, he's, he owns his ranch, has owned it for, you know, the family's had it for 100 years. They put conservation easements on it. To make it easy to understand, this conservation easement has certain standards it has to live by right now. The owners of that easement may enroll that easement into a NAC, which then assumes a management control of the easement. And within the management control of that easement may be written rules of production. Is that correct? Yeah, so that, that the conservation easement already controls the land. So that's already the primary purpose for the land. And that, that is the conservation purpose for that easement is defined in each of those easements, in, in every individual easement. Right. So it could be for the purpose of protecting the species. It could be for a number of different things. But that conservation purpose is what now controls the land. The use of the land is subservient to that. So th what the landowner does is subservient to that. That's also a separate right that you can you can take a look at the Nature Conservancy's balance sheet and you will see it that they have a number on their balance sheet of the easements that they own uh, worldwide. So it's it's if you remember how um, when easements first came out, one of the things that like the Nature Conservancy was caught doing quite a bit was they buy a conservation easement and then they trade it at a profit to the federal government or another land trust. And so landowners started getting smart and they would write into the contract that that couldn't be transferred. Some of them would do that. So, and then that would stop that practice for that particular easement. But the question here is how many of those contracts have been written to where they say the conservation easement can never be enrolled in an investment product? None. Exactly. So, you know, that's that's the issue. And, and so now if you, one of the things we've been watching is the language of these these conservation uh, of these land trusts, and uh, I'll use TALT, the Texas Agriculture uh, Land Trust here. Yeah. They've been their recent literature has been coming out talking about the importance of the ecosystem services that they provide. So we're starting to see these NAC terms yep. show up in these land trusts as they are because, and I know what's happening. They are all. Um, thinking this is another in, uh, profit opportunity for them. They enroll the land trusts, they enroll the easements into NACs. They get paid for that. And then they are also the ones who are paid to make sure that those resources are protected to meet the sustainability requirement of the NAC. So they get to double dip. They're going to okay. clean up on this, on the backs of landowners. So with that said, help me understand how uh, the enrollment of one of those easements, uh, you know, the landowner, his his productive rights are subservient to the easement. We know that. How, is it possible for him to lose all productive control and he would still own the land? He would still own the land and have to pay the tax on the land, but not get to produce off of it. That's my that's where I want to go. Yeah, it is possible because it's possible right now under a conservation easement. Okay. You know, that conservation purpose, it, typically the easements that I have read, the conservation purpose is very loosely written. You know, it complies with adaptable management principles or U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services um, 
species protocols, which change. Yeah. It's all very flexible yeah. uh, from yeah. that side. The contract that the landowner signs, signs with all of the restrictions is going to be about, the last one I looked at was 12 pages long, you know, with all the things you cannot do on your property, how many houses you can have. I mean, what you need to understand about the conservation easement is the easement holder has all of the authority to do what they want on the land. The landowner has all the restrictions. The only one who's prevented from using the land is the landowner under a conservation easement. So that's how, that's how it is already today. And, and so, you know, that's going to continue, except now there's another layer of management. And that management is from a NAC whose purpose is sustainability, making sure that there are no activities that are not replenishable that occur. And that sustainability definition is tied back to the UN accounting method, which is what they're using to stand up these NACs. So that sustainability de definition is going to change as policies change. Um, in fact, I unfortunately spent most of this weekend in a rabbit trail going through that, all those UN documents, just trying to get their definition of sustainability in these financial accounting documents, well, and, it's, and you can't find it. Right. It's fluid. It's whatever they want it to yeah. be uh, in order to grab control of the land. And so what you explained to me about easements on private land, it makes it a little clearer and easier to understand how they can gain control on the public uh, on public owned land, uh, say on a BLM lease that somebody's producing off of now. It, it, they already don't have uh, the control of the land in ownership so they could actually end up losing their lease and it's all known void right then and there. So that makes it uh, very, very understandable. So let me ask, uh, while we're on this subject, how does this or how can it um, affect a landowner, say, that doesn't have any uh, type of conservation easement, any trust uh, re relation to trusts um, that is wide open, no, no encumbrances, but has taken money from federal programs like drought programs or production programs. Is this interrelated? Well, we think so because those programs meet the definition. So remember, we're not talking about enrollment of physical land. That can be enrolled, but that's really not what they're after. They're after these new made up rights, uh, this new asset that they're making up. And so they're going to quantify and monetize, you know, what is the uh, the benefit from the conservation reserve program on somebody's land where they're not going to use it for 10 years, what's that benefit? And they're going to quantify that and put it on a balance sheet or enroll that in the NAC. Um, we're not quite sure how that's going to, how all of that is going to work. What we know is that it meets the definition and not to confuse this, but let me pull in another element of of this that we really haven't talked a lot about that might help make sense. In tandem with this NAC rule, the White House finalized their national strategy to create natural capital accounts. And the purpose of those, that was in January of 2023. And the purpose of that is to take all of these new values of these ecological systems and natural processes that, that they're creating out of thin air to place on the federal balance sheet for the purpose of inflating our collateral so we can increase the national debt. Yeah. But there's, so, so those are things like my question and, and I just um, sent this out to a couple people is, so now who owns that number one, if let's say it's, it's land that has CRP on it. And this, this new 
ecological system, natural process uh, value, who owns that? Is that owned by the landowner or is it owned by the governor who put the federal program on that essentially paid for that? Does it go on the federal government's balance sheet? So that's a real question. But in tandem with that, though, the other part of this is what we do think is going to happen to the landowner, all landowners, period, whether or not you have those programs or not. Um, and, and Treasure Oaks can speak to this better. The way that, that um, placing this value on natural processes can inflate uh, the financial markets. Um, they, they, have, they have an extraordinary number that they've come up with that how much value it's going to add to the financial markets. But what's going to happen is uh, that new value is then is that going to become a part of the land base? In other, when it comes time to uh, to determine the property, the tax value does that inflate the tax value on that land? So it could be, yeah. So it could be something that every American feels directly through the tax system, the property rights, the property tax system right now, because this new value is going to inflate the value of their property, which therefore is going to increase the taxes they're going to have to pay. Yeah. So financial assets around the globe have been valued. They, they say there's a value of about 1.5 quadrillion. Uh, the natural assets, um, these natural processes, they, I've seen values of four to five quadrillion, so multiples of what the financial assets are valued at. And so literally creating um, v- value out of thin air, applying a value to these m- natural processes um, because they are so ubiquitous a- around the globe. And, and there's really no way to assign any kind of objective value to it. Um, I'm not sure how they came up with that four to five quadrillion, but that's what they're trying to legitimize. They're trying to get this, uh, create legitimate values uh, for things that that really are completely subjective and should never be financialized. And, but but that's really where this is going. And one of the most dangerous aspects of this is, is really taking subjective uh, processes, assigning an objective value to that, and then pushing behavior in the marketplace uh, based on on that economic value. Well, and I would interject there and say that uh, placing, uh, you know, it's almost like it's nothing. They're, they're not, they're not placing value because there is no, there is no certain value of uh, these natural outputs, but they are using the lie of placing value to gain control of the land, which ultimately gains control of productivity of every, any and every kind. Uh, and so as we see all of these uh, nations crumble around the world, I, I come to think, well, is this all interwoven and related? And I believe it is uh, to, to, to gain control of the productivity across the world, because uh, that is what ultimately under uh, Agenda 2030 is, is to gain uh, total control. And and we can go down those rabbit holes, too. But um, real quick, does what is to say and I know there's there's no way to measure this now, but what is to say that we don't have foreign adver- adversaries like China and, you know, all of these. Uh, Middle Eastern nations that hate us right now come in and form their own companies and buy in or invest into uh, these NACs. I mean, who is going to be the overseer or the keeper of the gate, uh, so to speak, on on that? 
I mean, is it well, just that, gonna be a free for all? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And that's that's one of the issues that I raised in, in the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal back in November is, is these are uh, publicly listed companies that can raise capital from investors globally. And if you can invest in our capital markets today, as uh, any of those countries uh, can do, as far as I know, they they could do the same thing with a natural asset company, and and they don't even have to form that company. They they can just have you know some American entity uh, form the natural asset company and and allocate a certain amount of capital to each of these natural asset companies, and and essentially the purpose is the same that that money is seeking to find natural resources that can be locked away from human uh, uh, extraction and, and so what better way to cripple a country than by locking up its natural resources without a fight that is very very true and i know you know on a local level i'm speaking uh from my experience and that's kind of how i got into property rights as a very young man right out of college is my family lost um, a, a pretty good amount of land to the Nature Conservancy. And so that built a fire in me of saying, hey, this isn't right. Well, now, uh, you know, we have uh, the World Wildlife Fund in Montana with the American Prairie Reserve. We have National Heritage Areas trying to be implemented everywhere. And some of these lands are coming off the tax rolls. I know in Bent County, Colorado, you know, uh, they, at one time they were closing the courthouse three days a week because they couldn't keep it open, couldn't afford to keep it open. So if all of this comes into play, does it stay on the tax roll? Does it go off the tax roll? How does that, how does that work? It's just, there's so many open-ended questions that really can't be answered. Uh, and that seems to be where they want to go is making the rules up as they go. Well, I, I do think that this um, represents the, the greatest destruction of rural America in the history of our country. Wow. There's no question the impact that this will have on our rural communities. I mean, the, the rural communities are really where these natural resources are, come from, including grazing and, and, and this agricultural activity that is so critical to the rest of the country. And, and it's our rural communities that will suffer the most because the land will suddenly be put off limit, limits to the economic activity that is critical to the, the continuation of this country. I believe it's, it's, it is an incredible risk to, to rural America that will then filter through the rest of America. We will see a, a major supply shock um, yeah. to these natural resources, which will simply lead to higher prices, greater national security vulnerabilities, uh, it is incredibly dangerous, very short-sighted, and we have to do everything we can to stop it. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that because I, I just watched, a, it may have been a TikTok video, but I watched somebody on the internet and he says, do we not realize how uh, less energy production will starve the world? And mm -hmm. I'm sitting here going, how does this work? And he went through the whole thing. And it's almost like uh, the way we used to explain how beef is more than just beef, right? We have so many byproducts of beef. Well, it's the same with energy. I mean, we make so many things from the oil and gas industry that we can't live without. And those things are uh, go downhill to uh, the food production, food safety, all of that. And people don't realize while they say, hey, let's end all this energy and uh, you know the, the move against 
the beef industry or the beef production across the world, the anti-meat agenda, they don't even realize they're, they're going to kill themselves because we depend on that for so much more than just what's on the surface. So That's it exactly is, right. it's very, very, very crazy situation we're in. Well, and if you want to cripple society, you go after energy and agriculture. Yes. Um, those are the two foundations of any society. Um, it, it's the the um, foundation on, on which human prosperity depends. Um, the other thing to remember is that climate and, and crises um, narratives are, are really used for tyrannical purposes. James yes. Madison said the crisis is the rallying cry of the tyrant. Wow. And and I use that constantly. I, re, I, I tell people that all the time because we're, we're hearing... Uh, here in the state of Utah, we've got a housing crisis. Um, we have a water crisis, right? Anytime that crisis word is used, my antenna go up and everybody should be, uh, uh, their antenna should go up when they hear any kind of crisis. So the climate crisis, it's a pretext. Um, what they have said, those who are pushing the climate crisis narrative have said, is that it isn't really about the climate, it is about economics. So uh, AOC's chief of staff back in 2018, 2019, I believe, said the Green New Deal wasn't originally about climate. It was about how do you change the economic system. Uh, the, the UN commissioned a study uh, back in 2018. The headline from that was, we cannot address climate change with capitalism. Um, Christiana Figueroa is the head of the IPCC, the UN body that, that wrote the uh, Paris Climate Accord. She said earlier in 2015, she said, this is the first time in the history of the world that we have tried to intentionally change the economic system that has been in place for the last 150 years across the globe. That's what this is ultimately about. That's why it is about power. It is about uh, control over our natural resources. And we've got to wake up to that and demand uh, that 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 uh, we stop the consolidation of power, and it starts with property rights. Well, Treasure Oaks, I I go back to my dad, and I and he always said, uh, you know, basically on his deathbed, um, he said, "We will not change this country until everybody has to sit in the dark, cold, and hungry," and wow. uh, that made a lot of sense to me. But it also scares me too. So my question to you or uh, to Margaret is. How do we wake, um, you know, non-agriculture, non-rural people up? Uh, you know, in rural America, even if you even if you live in a rural city, we're kind of all on the same side. We kind of know uh, the origins of private property rights and how that uh, ties to our liberty and freedom. And we all know about farming and ranching because our communities, our small communities, depend on that. But for the larger urban communities how do we get out there and say hey this is really happening it's it's not fake we're not making this up uh it's the truth two plus two is four so this is where we're going and your uh food on your table or the heat in your house or your ability to drive across the state line on a vacation rests solely upon this how do we do that how do we change the thinking well, I think I think there are um, there's been so many efforts in the last two or three years under this administration that uh, are waking people up to this reality because it it goes into how uh, states responded to the pandemic. 
with the lockdowns and and forcing everyone to to get a vaccine whatever your views of a vaccine is the fact that force and coercion were being used that be, that's where we you know cross a line um it it has to do with um you know the states like california saying you cannot drive a combustion engine car after a certain date um you know we're seeing efforts um, that I think go too far, that people are waking up and saying, wait a second, this is this this doesn't make sense. This isn't good. And and so um, I'm hopeful that that people are connecting dots here and seeing that this is a part of a much larger agenda uh, that ultimately strips of strips us of our our individual liberties and, and our freedoms. Well, I, I would just ditto that. I mean, one of the things I've seen from our perspective is, you know, being a property rights group, it's there's not many of us out there, uh, property rights focused organizations. And, you know, these, these kind of messages, if we were to talk about this even four years ago, a lot of people weren't ready to hear it. And now I find that we are talking in circles outside of agriculture a lot more than we used to. And um, the, this, the notion, the understanding of property, how important it is to our liberty, it's, it is such a, it's, it's a truth. Truth is always easier to understand and to get quickly. And um, it's like that sword. I mean, I see it actually spreading across the country now in people's mindset that before we just never saw this happen. So, you know, as much as we should be pretty depressed because we're in the middle of this fight and we've been you know, in the middle of the fight for a while. I'm actually very optimistic. I, I get inspired every day by the new people that are coming forward and jumping on and helping to fight this, this agenda and the 30 by 30 agenda and everything related to it. So, you know, I actually fight very optimistically. I think they're, I, I have a great faith in the American people, even those who are not, knowledgeable on this yet. Um, the heart of the American is good. And that's what these things speak to. And um, people want freedom. That's, that's what America is about. They want freedom. They want prosperity. And so that's still our heartbeat as the country. And I think that's what we just have to continue to express and help connect those dots to them so they can see the agenda is connected to that and how that's taken that away from us. Margaret, you know, I'd like to touch on one thing about uh, these uh, these agendas that we've seen coming from the global hierarchy and the global what I call the global cabal down through. Uh, you know, we they are very patient people, and it's all about incrementalism, a little at a time. And so we see these animal rights groups, and we see environmental uh, extremist groups such as the wildlife world wildlife fund we see them infiltrating into um, organizations across the world but especially in america and now they have infiltrated into our agriculture organizations some pretty big ones and so with that said a lot of these organizations actually in the last 10 years have adopted the sustainability model. They're all about sustainability and their rally cry was, Hey, we have to sit at the table of sustainability. We have to sit at the table with these people um, before. So we're not eating at the table, you know, and um, I've always said, no, we cannot um, uh, digress our beliefs. We cannot give up and soften our beliefs to uh, appease these, these very, uh, organizations that have 
the opposite uh, thoughts and values that we have. And they are all the same people. It doesn't matter, you know, what organization you're talking about, environmental, uh, of the global cabal, of that agenda, anti-American, anti-me agenda. They're all the same people, but they have infiltrated some of our groups. And so I'm having a hard time uh, not saying I told you so when I told you so. Um, but I hope, my hope is, is that we can turn the thoughts of the members of those groups and organizations, because we have to remember, they're often bought off by uh, uh, corporate America uh, or, or worldwide corporations. They're often um, bought off by universities, you know, the university system, which is going in that direction of those kind of ideologues. And uh, so I want to, my goal is to, to start getting to the membership of those people, of those rural Americans that say, hey, these people were supposed to be uh, representing me and protecting me, how do we turn that around? And so maybe, just maybe, with the with this proposed rule of NACs, finally, we can say, hey, this is what's been happening, and this is how it's uh, interwoven with everything else, and and we can get some get some real adequate change. Yeah, I think I think um, agriculture is waking up, uh, but a lot of it is. You know, what, I think what we as Americans have to be thinking about is not the short term. In other words, we need to understand that we really are the safeguarders of private property in America. Amen. And and so that's one of the reasons why something like a conservation easement to me, it's it's not just a property right, it's a moral issue. Because putting a conservation easement on a piece of land in perpetuity means we are taking away and chipping away at the liberty of, of future generations. Yeah. And so it's important, you obviously have to take care of your daily finances, but at the same time, you have to be thinking about how does that affect future generations? And I think we have to become more long-sighted, be more like our founders. You know, What did they give up so that all of us sitting here on this call would have the liberties that we do today? You know, we can't take that for granted. That's what we want to pass on. And I, I apply that also to the government ownership of land. Government was not meant to own our land. Right. And right. the result of government ownership is the degradation of our resources and, and the reduction of our liberty. And so every time I see the federal government or the state's governments or local governments acquiring more property, we need to understand that means we are taking away more liberty from future generations when we allow that to happen. And so I think part of it is just appealing to the, the, the bigger agenda. You know, we, we get their agenda, what is ours? What are we here for? Is it so that, you know, we have a lot of money in our bank account, or is it because we want to pass down liberty to future generations? Wow. And well, I think when you keep that, that in mind, you fight different. Yeah. What you're saying is is we need to be playing offense instead of playing defense yeah. all the time. And you know, there there's yeah. one thing that I, I I tell everybody: I want my kid to enjoy the liberties that I got to enjoy. And my dad told me um, with when concerning these conservation easements and all these programs, he said, Shad, you're dictating the future of your ranch from the grave. You're dictating what it can, what can happen to that mm -hmm. from the grave. And that's not fair for those who follow you. So, um, so that I, I took that to heart and I learned a lot about that. And uh, boy, we do have, we do have a lot uh, going on. 
We do. Um, and so I guess what are the next steps? You know, what can everyday landowners, ranchers, everyday Americans do to prevent this, I guess, from happening? Um, cause I mean, it's still just a proposal. There's still, you know, the comment period's open. Um, but besides just commenting, what else can be done to help prevent this? Well, it's it's critical that America's Americans' voices are heard, um, that we engage with our congressional representatives. Um, that is really important. They've got to, uh, the, the Congress has got to engage on this issue and engage uh, with the Securities and Exchange Commission um, and and uh, make sure that this is is. Um, uh, I guess, prevented uh, if we can, and to the extent that it is not, but we, we need to have Congress take action. Um, so Congress has got to be engaged. And that really comes from, from uh, us everyday Americans uh, contacting our congressional delegations, but also our governors, um, uh, county commissioners or, or county leaders can, should also learn about conservation easements. There's an effort uh, here in Utah to get more land enrolled in conservation easements, and, and that's happening. I've seen county commissioners, um, you know, speaking uh, about uh, conservation easements um, in, in an effort to get land in, in those. And we've got to educate people so people can definitely reach out to the, the, the different uh, local uh, state and you know their national elect elected officials and and alert them to what's going on and and tell them to get engaged. Can states pass any kind of resolutions against this? Yeah, I know that that states are looking at um, legislation uh, to um, you know to to protect themselves from this. Uh, it'll it remains to be seen how that evolves, but that's certainly a, a very uh, hot topic right now at, at the state level. So yeah, even even reaching out to your state uh, legislators on this uh, could be helpful. Very interesting. Margaret, what would you say? Yeah. I would, I would say ditto, absolutely. Um, specifically in the House, I think the, the committee that's in charge or that oversees the SEC is the Financial Services Committee. So only three members on that committee signed on to Representative Hagman's letter wow. where um, she was asked for the comments to be reopened. And so I, I think I think it's really important since they have oversight over the SEC. I think each one of those members should have to make a personal statement to whether or not they oppose or support NAX. And, how and many so I would ask that. I think it's going to be, I think I'm going to, well, from the Republican side, probably a good 15. So we actually have Republicans so. that have not signed on to her letter. Uh, oh, we do. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, you can go to the internet and look up, just type in House Financial Services Committee. Yeah. And then on our website, we also have Representative Hagman's letter. I'm sure you guys have it up as well. Um, put those two side by side and you will see, you know, who signed and who didn't. And then um, I would reach out, if you have any communication with those members, reach out to them and ask them what is their position on, on NACs. We, we really need to get them on the record and, and publicly on the record where they are on that. Okay. So let's say, okay. So the, the timeline on this is uh, we have to have our comments submitted by Ju January 18th. That's eight days away. Tell us, uh, what happens 
let's say a million people get on there and we're going to post that link below. Uh, but let's, let's say a million people get on there and they, and they give their comments opposing or for, I don't know how, how everybody will do it, but uh, the majority of them will oppose it. Then what happens? Well, under the SEC rulemaking process, the uh, typically the applicants are able to rebut any comments that uh, come in. And so that'll happen. They have up until February 2nd to do that. What's really interesting and a very good sign for our side is that in this case, they actually are allowing anybody to rebut those comments. So American Stewards, we already filed comments in the first round. And so we, we can then go in that rebuttal period and file comments on things that we disagree with that others have filed if we want to get that engaged, which we probably will. And so there is that rebuttal period. I think that's important um, as well. And then the SEC, there's a time frame for it to make its decision. And a couple of things can happen. They can require a hearing, which would then extend things out for, I think, up to another 180 days. Or they can just go ahead and make their decision, which I think would be happen sometimes in March. So, um, so there's still time in here to really uh, make our case to the SEC why this should not be uh, approved. And I think we're at that moment where maximum pressure is going to be really important for us to to make our case. Yeah, no, no doubt, the maximum pressure. Well, that. I just half of this just goes blows my mind because I just don't even understand how people could even support something like that. But um, y'all, this was an amazing conversation that was very insightful and very inspiring for one, just a good American pep talk in some ways of reminding us of our values um, as Americans and as ranchers. But um, I guess, do y'all have anything else to add or any comments of, you know, one main thing for people to pull away from this conversation? Well, I'll just say that I'm I'm very grateful for the ranchers of this country. Uh, every time I eat beef now, I'm, I'm especially grateful after seeing an advertisement for crickets, uh, you know, to buy insects. I, I'm just grateful that we still have ranchers that are willing to uh, do the hard work to get food on our table. And and uh, and you can count me as as a defender of those rights and and how critical it is that we uh, keep the power in the hands of the people and not allow power to consolidate into the hands of the few to dictate how we live. And and uh, I, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be here and, and to discuss this issue with you all. Yeah, it's not just conspiracy theories anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret, do you have anything to add? Sure. I, well, first off, I want to thank uh, Treasurer Oaks. Really, it's when he stepped into this issue. Uh, his op-ed in the Wall Street Journal is what what alerted the business community to this, and, and um, it opened up a whole new group of people that became very concerned about this. So the importance of him standing up and the stand he's taken, I think, needs to be recognized. It's really important to where we are in this fight. Um, and, and I would just tell individuals, the, the people, do not lose heart. You know, this is the best nation mm -hmm. and it is worth fighting for. So I know we all have get ground up in these issues, but at the end of the day, this absolutely is worth fighting for. So don't lose heart. Just keep so, fighting. Margaret, I have one last question. If the proposed rule is allowed to go forth and proceed forward and they implement it, 
What does that look like? Well, I would say we still have a lot of other places to fight uh, to push this back, number one. But, you know, ultimately, though, they are they're going for total control. I mean, I I believe this is all about acquiring the land because the land and the natural resources are the beginning of wealth. So, you know, what is Russia fighting over right now? More land. Why? Because yeah. that's what they need to control the yeah. people and to control the country. Right. You know, the same thing is happening in Israel. You know, that's that's a ba- battle over over land for uh, for a good reason. So they know that if they can control our land, they can control the people. So we have to remember that we you either have the right to own property or you are property. And that's ultimately what this is all about. Wow. And um, you've, I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it before. That's something that dad used to say. And he was right 30 years ago. He's even more right about it today. So that's what this is all coming down to. But again, I just want to reiterate um, we live in the best country and we have a God on our side on this, I fully believe. And so if we do our job, he will do his job. Amen. And, and that's what we need to focus on. That's what we need to do. I was having a conversation with an individual here a while back about um, uh, the the proposal. It was just a proposal and a very short, short one at that of the USDA wanting us to register our gardens and I hearken back to the days of Mao and Hitler and, uh, you know, uh, Cuba. And they all, if you were caught with seeds, if you were caught growing a garden, you were killed on the spot. And that that brought me back to that, uh, my former readings and, and thought, is this is this real in America that they want us to register our home gardens? And uh, of course, it was just a voluntary registry. Uh, but uh, it has so much to, it, it, it speaks so much about the future and where they want us to go. And so right now, right now is the time that we as Americans have to stand up and fight for our, liber- for our liberty, but especially property rights, because property rights are the foundation of life, liberty, and property. Okay, so I have one more question too that probably should have been asked a while back. So Treasure Oaks, what Margaret kind of touched on this, that, that you did bring this to light in the business community. What is the, you know, this is essentially creating an artificial economy. And so what is the business community saying about this? Like, I mean, you know, everyday people, you know, they kind of know where their food comes from. They kind of, you know, people in the city, they don't really think about your natural resources being monetized. So what is the business community saying about this? Well, I, I think with the uh, attack on energy, um, that in particular, you know, has has caught the attention of the business community because really it's the top-down effort of pushing environmental, social, and governance with scope three emissions, right, that ends up um, all the way down at the rancher level with, with um, livestock emissions that's resulted in things crazy things going on in Europe where they're they're culling herds they're you know attacking the farmers in the Netherlands and and having them you know destroy their their cattle um it really starts with this climate hysteria argument that is impacting all businesses through environmental social governance um and and people can see that this is very closely tied to ESG yes that, that the climate hysteria, is really driving this agenda to shut down 
uh, our economic freedoms. And, and that's really the, the message that I try to communicate to, to businesses. And there really is no person on the earth or business that isn't impacted by natural resources. We all depend ultimately on natural resources. And so we're all impacted by this and, and the business community is is smart enough to figure that out, I think. And 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 I'm just trying to connect the dots there and, and help them see that that this ultimately is bad for everyone. And let us not forget what the triple bottom line of sustainability is, Treasure Oaks. That's economic, environmental, and social justice. And you yeah. just hear those words all the time. It's just like, and that's what sustainability is. So I, well, I just, and let me just let me just give you an analogy, and I think okay. hopefully this will this will be helpful. Uh, in our legal system, we have Lady Justice who's blindfolded, and decisions are to be made in our legal system based on the law, and that's why Lady Justice has a blindfold. Wow. As soon as Lady Justice pulls the blindfold off, then she starts using things like empathy to decide who is the oppressor, who is the oppressed, and making decisions based on that. It corrupts our legal system. Amen. The economic system is exactly the same, where our decisions need to be based on economics. And as soon as we introduce something other than economic decision making, for example, environmental, social governance, sustainability, whatever it is, we are corrupting our economic system and putting our economic freedoms at risk. That is what is at stake today. That is powerful stuff. And I'm, I'm just going to stop here because I know I talk too much. But you guys, I just want to personally thank both of you. Uh, great Americans, great American patriots, lovers of liberty, lovers of freedom. Thank you so much. Uh, Margaret, I treasure our friendship so wholly. I hope I can get to know you, Treasure Oaks. I mean, what a fantastic conversation. Yeah. And God bless America. I think we could go on all day, it sounds yeah. like. But so our last question, we always ask our guests on the podcast, what is your favorite cut of beef and how do you like it prepared? That is a hard one because, you know, they, they really all rank very high in our diet. <laughs> I think probably when I go to a restaurant, I usually, I usually actually order a tenderloin quite a bit, but what I cook at home, I cook a lot of Czech steaks and I cook everything at home because there's so much flavor in all of them. There's so much you can do with beef. It's hard. It's like picking your favorite child, right? I'd say a prime rib roast medium rare. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yes. Thank you, Treasurer Oaks and Margaret, for joining us and for bringing these important issues to the attention of Americans. Property rights are the foundation of this great nation, and we need to raise up and make our voices known. And to do that, you can submit your comments to the Securities and Exchange Commission until January 18th. Takes two really quick minutes, maybe not even that. You can submit those comments by following the link in the show notes on USA's social media or from the American Stewards Liberty website. You can also go ahead and give your senators and representatives a call at the Capitol switchboard number 202-224-3121 and ask them to oppose this proposal. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Stay updated, stay engaged in the conversation, and give us a follow at USA on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. USA is set apart from all other National Cattle Associations because we rely solely on membership dues and donations to carry out our mission to ensure the continued profitability and independence of United States cattle and sheep producers. We exist only because of the support from our members. We ask you to help support RCAF USA and become a member today. 
For more information or to fill out that membership, go to r-calfusa.com.